0: Welcome to the Storyteller's Tavern. My name is Mush Hughes. And I'm Lee Northrop. And together, we talk to makers and artists to learn more about the stories behind their projects and their creative journeys so far. Thanks for joining us here in the Tavern for Chapter 3, where all of our stories were told during WorkbenchCon 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia. As the first full day of WorkbenchCon came to a close, we ran into our new friend, Rex Kruger. He's a writer, content creator, and furniture builder in Cleveland, Ohio, who builds early American furniture mostly by hand, makes videos on YouTube, and writes books. His most recent book is Everyday Woodworking A Beginner's Guide to Woodcraft with 12 Hand Tools. Rex tells us the story of leaving the classroom and entering the wood shop, and leaving the wood shop, yins and yangs, and impact of outsiders on an industry, Rex's secret supplier of grandpa's tools, and his favorite childhood cartoon. Welcome back to the Tavern, still hanging out at WorkbenchCon, still having an amazing time. We're hanging out with our friend, Rex. Uh, Rex, welcome to the Tavern.
1: Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. This is the fastest I've ever booked a podcast (laughs) appearance in my entire life.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Thanks for being here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to be doing it. I make hand tool woodworking
1: videos. I specialize on, hold on, I got to move this microphone. Yeah, you're good. Mm. There we go. I make hand tool woodworking videos. I specialize in early American and British furniture. And the specific stuff I make is country furniture. So I make furniture that was made by typically not professional woodworkers. So people who were either part-time furniture makers, or they were farmers, or other craftspeople, and they made furniture in their spare time or as a side gig. Why not? That all sounds super weird, but it's a really simple idea. I'm trying to make woodworking as accessible as I can. And the biggest barrier to accessible woodworking is the expensive machinery. Mm-hmm. So my philosophy is go back in time to when the expensive machinery didn't exist and focus on people who weren't making furniture full time. So they weren't super mastercrafts people, but they were making the same things over and over again, traditional designs, really tried and true, proven stuff that most people still need in their houses today so we use that toolkit and those designs and you can get going making furniture without a big shop or a bunch of dust
2: collection pretty quickly. I know. What a neat kind of gateway drug into furniture making and things like that and what a neat way for people to be like hey this is something I can actually do to think about that guy a hundred years ago that wasn't making a dresser because he was making a youtube video (laughs) but he was making that dresser because he needed a place to put his clothes like that's super cool so Talk to us a little bit about, I mean, this didn't, you did, didn't fall fallen to this, you know, at age 30. You, you, this was a journey. So where did your journey start? I
1: started at age 30. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That was when I started woodworking. You set that up beautifully. <laughs> um, I think the, the past goes back further. I come from a really mechanical family. So my great-grandfather and my grandfather were both tool and die makers. They were machinists. They came over from Germany in 1904. And my grandfather started his apprenticeship here in the States in 1914. He was 14 years old. And uh, then my dad and brother are super passionate mechanics. And I grew up on a farm. And not a working farm, not animals and stuff, but we had six acres and lots of gardens and raked hay and did all that stuff. And we did things for ourselves. So I grew up doing a little bit of plumbing, a little bit of electrical, a little bit of carpentry here and there, taking care of machinery, mowing and fixing stuff. And then uh, I wasn't super interested in the mechanical stuff. I was an arts kid. We were talking before we started about playing music. I was about like uh, theater and science fiction books and rock and roll and independent movies and later for all that twisting wrenches and knocking boards together. None of that interested me. The two things happened at the same time. I went to grad school for English and grad school was boring. <laughs> it was super dull and I was in grad school when the maker movement jumped off. And so, 05, 06, 07, I was going on YouTube and I was seeing Frank Howarth, Jimmy DiResta, Steve Ramsey, and it was like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan to me. Like, it was like lightning bolt to the brain. I I couldn't believe what was going on and the magnetic pull that it had. The feeling of not just I want to watch these guys, but oh my God, I want to be one of these guys. And then, that's stupid. I'm studying to be an English teacher. I'm going to be an English teacher. Just watch the YouTube and go to class. And then, you know, it, it didn't
2: end up working out that way. It's a longer
1: story, but I was able to move into this eventually. So
2: I've never heard Jimmy Duresta <laughs> compared to watching Ed Sullivan and the Beatles. Like, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty great compliment and comparison. Um, so you talked about, like, so you become an English teacher, and you're, you're glazing over that, but that's part of your journey. And so you do jump into being an English teacher, but with this, like, desire and drive to make things and to do cool stuff. So, talk about being an English teacher and where that where that took you.
1: You know, uh, what had happened was I got out of college and what I really wanted to do was make it as a musician. Like so many people. What did you major in? English. Okay, <laughs> But with a uh, creative writing focus. So I mostly wrote fiction and stuff like that and I thought I might go into that as a career, I wasn't sure, but what I really wanted to do was for my band to go somewhere. Mm. Like so many young people, And, you know, I got out, and to make ends meet, I got a job working for the government. I was a Section 8 caseworker, so I was helping people get into subsidized housing. And that was a soul-destroying experience (laughs) on every level. It was the most stressful, white-knuckle, panic-inducing, boring, (laughs) miserable existence imaginable. And I'm doing that, like, 50 hours a week, and then after that, band practice and gigs, and my band was going nowhere. <laughs> I mean, nowhere. And after a few years of that, I white flagged it. I was like, this arts thing that I'm trying to do, this isn't going to happen. Everybody in my life is like, you should be an English teacher, and I have been beaten down by the working world sufficiently <laughs> to be like, fine. I'm going to go be an English teacher. You got it. And I did really like teaching. The classroom was great. Problem with teaching English on the college level is you're in the classroom like 20% of the week and the other 80% is just, oh my god, it's committee meetings and it's endless administration and advising and grading papers and We don't know anything <laughs> about this. <Yeah. laughs> and, it's, and it's just look, the classroom, the students, if I'm in a room with a student, everything's fine. The rest of it and I was bored out of my skull. And I was watching YouTube and um loving it and still being super excited and we had moved to Central California for me to take my first teaching job. And we lived in Merced, California which is a really rough part of the country, a lot of crystal meth out there, a lot of violence. There was a new university that they had started in a terrible part of the country to try and lift it up. And that was the idea. And I got my first job out there and it was just a crap place to live. And I didn't like it. I'm from Connecticut originally, so is my wife. Connecticut to central California, <laughs> that is a, that's a big leap. And we were, we were really unhappy. And we were talking about trying to get out, and we were talking about leaving, and at a certain point I was like, listen, if we just bail out on this and leave, I'm not going to get another college teaching job. And my wife was like, I can live with that, get me out of (laughs) here. And so I walked away from my job knowing that I wasn't going to get another one. And I had to reboot, I had to start over. And so we ended up in Cleveland, Ohio because we had a buddy there that was really the that was the decision-making process like my buddy Dan lives in Cleveland we're moving to Cleveland we We love Cleveland by the way (laughs) it it is an amazing place to live I got super lucky that that's where I had a homeboy who wanted me to live there and wanted to help me set up and stuff and uh, we got there and I had this vague sense I was like well I'm not doing English teaching anymore I mean I'd, I'd like to have this YouTube channel that I've been thinking about I'd like to get into woodworking I don't know, and one of my neighbors had a dogwood tree fall down in his yard, and my wife saw it and looked at me and she was like, don't go steal the wood from that tree. <laughs> and I said, no, absolutely, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to go get some milk at the store, and she just put her head in her hands and she was like, whatever, don't get arrested. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just, just out there stealing this guy's wood, I'm just cutting the tree apart. And I've taken it, and this SUV pulls up, and this guy leans out, and he says, Hey, man, why are you working so hard? And I was like, oh, well, I'm getting this wood. I'm a woodworker, blah, blah, blah. And he says, yeah, I know, I know. That's a dogwood. And I'm like, yeah. And he said, yeah, I own a wood shop. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he said, yeah, do you want to work for me? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you don't understand. I'm not a professional. I'm, I'm a hobbyist. You know, I do stuff like in my basement. And he said, yeah, I get that. Do you want to work for me? <laughs> and I was like, Yes. <laughs> I have to say
2: yes, right? I wish people could see the expression on your face. Well, it's it didn't, pretty it didn't make any
1: sense. It was very weird. And so I went to work in this guy's shop, and that started out two days a week. And six months later, I was full time. Wow. And I was doing a lot of stuff. And in the middle of that, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm OK at this. <laughs> I'm not great, but I'm OK, and I'm getting better. I think I can make a go of this. And I did that in different shops for a couple of years until I got into a situation where I had a foreman I couldn't get along with. And I had to get out of there before we ended up in the parking lot. Mm. Like, it was a really dysfunctional, like, it, it was gonna come to blows. So I had to quit. And then I had already worked in all the wood shops in Cleveland, <laughs> because there's like five. <laughs> and I worked in all of them. And having nowhere else to go, I was like, I gotta start this YouTube channel. And how old were you at this point? I was 37 okay.
2: years old. <laughs> so, yeah, the 30 was pretty. Nail on the head.
1: So I started woodworking when I was 30, and I started doing YouTube and doing custom work and stuff like that when I was 37, 36 I started working in
2: shops. So we're sitting with three musicians, and you talked about the music a lot. I gotta know the name of the band and the kind of music, because I could guess, but I just, I want to hear it from I mean,
1: you. I mean, listen, I've been in a bunch of them. I was in a ska band, I was in a pop punk band, the last one that I was in... You're really going to make me say it, right? I you? am. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I was in an instrumental band that was like <laughs> kind of jazz, inflected, very, very weird. And that band was called Three Mind Heist. Stop it. The drummer came up with it, and it was the one name where I was like, "It's fine." And he's like, "You know, because it sounds like three blind mice." And I was like, "Yeah, I get it. Fine. Okay. All right.
2: You were like in the Mannheim Steamroller of jazz. It was.
1: I mean, it it was not a bad group for sure, but the fact that I was like hanging my life's ambitions on an instrumental trio, (laughs) I, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. And in New Haven, Connecticut, like not a mecca for music, it, it really didn't make sense.
2: It's a weird direction, but you've you've alluded to your wife and this amazing supportive woman. I've got to know her story a little bit because she's put up with you. Um,
1: just, <laughs> that's that's the word for it, right?
2: And, and, I yeah. mean, I've only known you for a, a little bit, like sure. I, I've known of you, but like we we're, we have this new new friendship now in just the last little bit. But I can tell that you're uh, you're a lot, and your wife is um, a special woman. So tell us a little bit about her. You know, my wife is the victim
1: of one of the greatest bait and switches in all of marriage (laughs) because she supposedly was marrying an English professor and instead she ended up with a maker social media influencer without a real job running a totally ludicrous business. So she's, um, she's a wonderful person. She is as different from me as she could be. You know, and it's just what you alluded to, like where I cannot shut up and I'm super high energy. She's a lot calmer, she's really diplomatic, she's all about compromise, and she's a higher ed administrator. (laughs) You know, so she keeps things running and she's a very procedure by the book sort of person. But that's why it works because she keeps things straight and narrow, she follows the rules, she does things the way they're supposed to be done, and I'm over in the corner spazzing out, and she's like, that's great, you do that, I'm gonna keep things running while you
2: get into whatever nuts stuff you're getting into and I think that that's what makes the magic happen is for every ying there's a yang and I mean I think about you know I know Mush's wife well I know my wife pretty well and um it's almost 25 years of marriage this year and um that's a lot good yeah, job it's a, <laughs> it's a lot for her <laughs> it's fun for me um, but you know you have to have those people that balance who you are and and what you're doing so um kudos to her like that's that's you know fun. the the balance
1: is super interesting because when I was getting this business off the ground, there was like a three year period where we definitely flirted with bankruptcy. I mm. mean, it was very sketchy. Mm-hmm. First year I did this for a living, I made $6,000 mm. for the year. So she was working, she was really supporting the family, and she was supporting me in doing this. And she's the reason I was able to get this off the ground because she gave me that clearance. But now, where we are, things are working. I, I can say, she doesn't watch my videos you know she's very supportive and she wants things to go well and she wants to hear about work but she doesn't watch my stuff Hmm. she's like that's what you're doing that's your job you're doing that we're about our daughter and our home and we focus on that and that separation works for
0: us yeah that's i I feel that that resonates a lot with me and it's good like to have the support in whatever form it is and it's still there it's still love and even if it's not engaging with the content it's the heart is there you know and we just don't
1: have the world's most similar interests and so it's cool for her to be like i love you're doing something that you love but i don't know what you're talking about mortis and tenon what is that whatever <laughs> who are they make dinner <laughs> yeah. go cook dinner what, what band is that <laughs> oh don't even get me started on her and music she does not want to know about the weirdo underground rock early hip-hop whatever i want to talk about she wants to listen to Christina Aguilera records. She does not want to know about the
2: spaz out rock music I'm into. So somebody had to inspire you. And if we look back like to the person you were growing up on the farm, like doing all those things, who were the people that you might have kind of looked up to, been inspired by? Who were those people?
1: You know, somebody who always inspired me a ton was Leo Fender he had a big influence on me because he couldn't play guitar Hmm. and he was tone deaf he couldn't play music in any form and that gave him an outsider perspective all the musicians who had ever innovated were never able to come up with what he was able to do because he brought it from another perspective he had been a, a radio repair guy and an amplifier repair technician and so he understood how to bring this outside knowledge into this area where it was unexpected and create a thing that completely changed the world. But he relied on other musicians, or on musicians, to come in and test his products because he couldn't play a lick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as far as I know, he's the only non-musician to ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's very cool. And that was, that just always, I mean, I am a musician, so like, I, I don't have that connection with him. But that outsider and that idea of somebody who you would never expect coming in and being the guy to revolutionize something because of his difference, that really stuck with me and it still does. You know, if somebody who was my hero when I was like 15, 16, I still really look up to him now.
2: It's so cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, Mush, I'm getting a little bit of Maker Camp vibe as the cure just kicked in and like the party's getting started. It's six o'clock, mm-hmm. like it's it's pretty wonderful. Um, Rex, have you been to Maker Camp? Have you, what's, is this your, how many years have you been a Maker uh, or Workbench Con? What's your?
1: Yeah, so you know what is, I started coming to stuff like this in 2019. Mm-hmm. There was a thing called Spring Make okay. in Cleveland and Lincoln Electric put that on and I was all set to be faculty in 2020. Mm. And then-, and then COVID, what happened? What yeah. happened? <laughs> <laughs> Something happened. And 2020 was the year my channel really jumped off. Hmm. So I came to the original Spring Make and I had 30,000 subscribers. I, nobody knew who I was, nobody cared who I was. <laughs> and I was all set. The following year, things had gone up a lot. And I was like, I'm gonna be an instructor this year. This is gonna be amazing. And then COVID happened and all that got taken away and then I've been locked down. So this is the second thing I've done this year. I did the woodworking shows, and then this is it. So this is the things I've been to. I don't make it up to make Camp because there's a huge car show in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I know that car show well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know what? It is an amazing place to buy woodworking tools. I buy almost all my tools there. Why? Because it has the biggest automotive flea market in the world, 10,000 vendor spaces. My brother and dad and I walk that show for three straight days every year and don't walk the whole thing. And all those guys have barns. And what's in the barns? Grandpa's tools. And what do those car guys not care about at all? They don't <laughs> care about what. So that hand plane is a dollar. That chisel is 50 cents. That so I've had people give me tools for free at that show because they see me walking around with a saw and they're like, hey, hey, come here, come here. <laughs> Take this stuff. <laughs> I've been carting to shows for two years. Take it. And so I've, I've gone to that show and I've filled my car with stuff. And it's been crazy. So, And it's the only time of year I really see my dad and my brother because they live far away. So I haven't done a lot of stuff that time of year so I can make space for that Hershey show. My dad is 82. So he's not gonna make it out to that show for too many more years. As long as he can go to that show, I'm gonna prioritize that. I love
2: the fact that you're going to the show to buy (laughs) tools and not to look at cars. Do you pay attention to the cars? Aesthetically.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, So cars from the 50s in particular,
1: and it goes right along with like Fender and Gibson guitars, they are so beautiful aesthetically. But I do not care about cars one bit. I drive a Honda. I don't want anything to do with cars. They do not interest me in the slightest. Just the aesthetics, the vibe, the music of that era. I like 50s music a lot, but man, I want nothing to do with cars. It's amazing. Yeah. Instruments, wood, all of that.
2: Keep the cars. So I want to jump into the word impact just for a little bit. Like, so you've got a following, you've got this presence. What are you doing with your impact? How do you how do you use it? I use it to get people to know they can do woodwork.
1: You can, if you're an able-bodied person or even if you're a little disabled, you can do woodwork. And it's something Ann Briggs, Anne of All Trades, said in one of her videos once. She said, look, when it comes to woodworking, blacksmithing, leatherwork, these were blue collar jobs. These were jobs done by high school dropouts. You don't have to be a genius or an artist or any of these things, these were regular, run-of-the-mill jobs so if you want to get into smithing and i, I do some smithing too it, it's not that big of a deal especially if you just understand that you know you might not ever make that that sheraton high boy that you saw in fine woodworking one time but if you want to make a linen chest man, you can make a bangin' linen chest. (laughs) And maybe you can make that after only six months of woodworking, so the impact I wanna have is I want people to know, like, look, you have a little space in your garage, you can get a little workbench, you can build things for your house, you can make that chair or that coffee table that you want, and you can do it by hand. You don't need a bunch of machinery, you know, and you don't have to be a master, you can do stuff at a, I didn't start woodworking until I was 30. So I've gotta be realistic, like, all kidding aside, I'm an okay woodworker. I'm like maybe a four out of 10. And this is not false modesty. I'm just not, when there's guys in my in my niche like Paul Sellers and Rob Cosman, right? Those guys are master cabinet makers. I am not that, and I'm not gonna be that. They started apprenticeships in their teenage years. I was 30. You don't start at 30 and get to that place, but it's the, it's the Johnny Ramone thing. You guys know what Johnny Ramone said? because he, he was 26 when he started playing guitar and he said I was 26 I couldn't worry about being a virtuoso I had to think about what could I do Wow. and that's what I think about I, I have what I've got what can I do with what I've got
2: and that's the impact I'm trying to have the word accessibility mush really resonates like just making what you see online or whatever making it accessible to say that anybody can do it that's That's really rad and just a a very nice piece that you're delivering to the community, that's that's awesome.
1: I'm really fortunate, I have a guy working for me, his name's Nick Burskins, shout out to Nick. He helps me with a lot of strategy and stuff and I was talking to him one day about affordability and money and stuff like that and he said, Rex, Rex, let me stop you there, because you're wrong. (laughs) You think your brand is about affordability and low cost, but it's not. Your brand is about accessibility, and I was like, "Wow, somebody else just told me what my brand is." <laughs> I was like, "I know, I pay you for something, man." And it, when he said that to me, it changed my whole, it changed my whole thing, and it really made me focus on the accessibility part. I was thinking a lot about money before that, mm-hmm. how to keep it cheap,
0: but money is only a piece of accessibility. That's cool. It's really neat to see that that inspiration kind of generate in so many different ways. So. Yeah,
2: that's cool. Hey. I guess I, I have one weird question, because we were cut from the same cloth, like, I think the energy here at this table as far as musicians and um, just being kind of out there, I think it's, 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 it's alive and well at this table. Favorite cartoon growing up?
1: You mean, like, uh, animation on TV, or...
2: Yes, anything? Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, Thundercats. Yes. <laughs> and, and the reason for it is that show, and I didn't know it at the time, I couldn't have said this, that show had an aesthetic... That was unbeatable. It had a, a lean, like sharp look. And that Thundercats logo, that circle with the red and the black, that will never stop looking cool. I mean, <laughs> what is this? What is this? 35, 37 years down the line, and people are still rocking that logo on It was timeless. And at the time, I remember watching that show and being like, why does this look like this? <laughs> nothing else was like that i've rewatched the show since then and it is very dumb that show does not hold up on a plot and story standpoint but man it looked
2: like aesthetically nothing. it's there it
1: was amazing it really influenced me when i was a kid
2: so mush and i and that was a very random question and mm-hmm. i get it but i was i'm really excited to hear whatever the hell you're going to say like and <laughs> that did not disappoint. So I have something to show you, which Moshe and I are both makerspace facilitators at an independent school just north of Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is our logo. This is our athletics logo. (laughs) my
1: god. That's amazing. It looks great. And it was inspired. It was not. But what is it to you? It's Thundercats logo, obviously. (laughs) And what's even cooler is my brother in law and sister in law live just outside of Charlotte. So the next time I'm down there, yes. are we going to hang? I can get over to your makerspace for hang. sure.
2: We would love for you to spend some time with us. We get down there once or, or twice a
1: year. Cool. So we can make that happen, and
0: I'd like to. Cool. That sounds fantastic. Cool. Um, Rex, thank you so much for these stories. This has been awesome. Where can people go to find out more about you and just keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, you can definitely find me on
1: Instagram and YouTube. Those are the easiest ones. And YouTube is super easy. Put Rex Wood. <laughs> Right, my channel is called Rex Krueger, but if you just put Rex Wood into the search bar, I'm the thing that comes up and you can connect with me there the best, that's where I make most of my content. Right on,
0: awesome, thank you so much. In just one second, we're gonna invite you to toast us out with a toast of your choice. Before we do that, big shout out to Total Boat and WorkbenchCon for taking care of us this chapter. Thank you so much guys, it's, it's really meant a lot to be able to make these cool connections here, these cool stories, this one included. So Rex, as we always do, we'd love for you to lead us out in a toast of your choice. gentlemen. Let's drink
1: a toast to the underground and to the DIY way of doing things. Because from music all the way to what we're doing right here, it's all the same thing. It's all get off your ass and make it happen.
2: Cheers,
0: boys. Cheers. We just heard from Rex Kruger. We also kept the mics rolling for a couple of minutes and recorded another round with him, which you can find at patreon.com sttavernpod. You should check out more about Rex and what he does by following him on Instagram at rexkruger and compassrosetools.com, both of which are linked in the show notes. And that does it for this episode of Chapter 3 of the Storyteller's Tavern. We hope you enjoyed and will join us next time. Until then, you can find us on Instagram at sttavernpod or at sttavernpod.com. If you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast in the podcatcher of your choice, where you're also able to review the show and give it up to a five-star review. If you're enjoying these episodes and want to support us, you can go to patreon.com sttavernpod and sign up to become a patron of the show, which will not only help us make this show, but will also give you access to all of our Another Round episodes, where we sometimes let the mics roll for a little bit extra after we toast. All the stories in this chapter were made possible by WorkbenchCon and Total Boat. Check them both out online at WorkbenchCon.com and TotalBoat.com, respectively. Thank you both so much. And finally, if you or a maker you know have a story that you'd like to share at the Tavern or just want to drop us a line, you can send us a message on Instagram or reach out to us at contact at StorytellersTavernPod.com. But until next time, keep making cool stuff, do good, and be well.